And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at StanTheFan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And a very pleasant good morning to each and every one of you in our listening audience. And uh, it is July 22nd. I am Stan the Fan, and this is Mr. Craig Heist. And uh, we are here. We are your bat-around team. And uh, we'll be getting you through the next two hours talking some baseball. And we hope you'll uh, tune in. We've got a great collection of guests. Uh, if you have joined us on our website, pressboxonline.com radio, uh, we also urge you to take a look at what the show looks like by going to facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Yeah, but then they'd have to look at both of our faces. And There's nothing wrong with looking at both of our faces. Mm-hmm. Speak I, for yourself. I guess it's 10 o'clock. <laughs> people, we, have, people have been up and had breakfast. <laughs> we owe a big debt of gratitude to uh, Glenn Clark today uh, of Glenn Clark Radio. We had a... Craig, do you want to describe it? We had like a mini emergency. A little mini emergency. We couldn't get the headphone jacks to work, which means we couldn't hear ourselves. ourselves. Right. So Bonzo's great technological knowledge. He wanted to run it through the through the board and everything else. Right. Right. So we called Glenn, and being the technical genius and master that he is, says, "Tap the table." We tried that, still didn't work. Bonza, who's just a step above Glenn as far as the technical uh, guru of this fine right. establishment, says, oh, oh wait so, a minute, so it's not plugged in. <laughs> I didn't know it was supposed to be plugged in. All right, anyway, we are here uh, thanks to the great work of Glenn Clark. They're almost like technological detectives, Glenn Clark and Bonza Tufo. Yeah. Uh, here's what we. Yes. And, and you're quite the opposite. Uh, yeah, that would be true. I just use it. Well, the only way you you uh, are equal to them right. is when it <laughs> comes to figuring out your computer and your laptop. <laughs> now wait a minute. What happened? I was supposed to hold on, Bonzi. You were supposed to get me get me cooked cooking here. I was supposed to share this, right? But where are we? There we are. Okay. We're up. I got it. There you go. There we go. Because if you don't share, if you don't share, you're square. If you don't share, people won't care. That's right. All right, that's that's another way to put it. All right. Anyway, on the program today, former Oriole outfielder, played with a couple other major league teams, I think the Atlanta Braves and the Los Angeles Dodgers among them. Mike Devereaux is going to join us, talk a little bit about the fact that Camden Yards in its 26th season, they're still celebrating the 25th year anniversary of Camden Yards. Mike Devereux is going to join us at about 10.15. Masson's uh, writer and uh, analyst for the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report with Dave Johnson and, of course, Rob Long. Uh, That is Mel Antonin will be with us as well. Phil Woods also on that show quite a bit. Uh, And then at 11.05, we're going to hear from the people's man, and that's Josh Soroka of Section 336. We'll hear what uh, their take is on whether the Orioles should be selling some hot commodities. And then at 1130. Do, do we have any? <laughs> we have some, 
Yeah. Okay. The Orioles are going to tap on the table. <laughs> tap on the table, right? Um, the uh, at eleven thirty, we've got none other than uh, Bill Latson on his MLB MLB.com podcast, Newsmakers, and we'll find out what's new on that podcast. Well, one of the things that's new, of course, is the uh, upcoming induction of the Hall of Fame. And he has a nice Tim Raines uh, podcast oh, up and down. Yeah, so great. we'll talk to Bill about that and see what he found out. Because, you know, when you think about Tim Raines in the National League, I mean, everybody talks about Ricky Henderson, greatest leadoff hitter, but Tim Raines was kind of Ricky before Ricky. Yeah. In my mind. Yeah. Uh, just a great player and did so many things and so many things well. And it'll be interesting to see what Bill had to He's ask him. He's certainly well-deserved to, yeah, oh, to no finally question. get into the Hall of Fame. Should have been sooner than this. You've got some sad news from down the road in Washington you just heard. Yeah, uh, within the, we'd share within the last six, seven months, we heard that uh, Channel 4 anchor uh, Jim Vance uh, had cancer. and uh, One of the nicest, one most of the affable, greatest, and great the greatest, screen presence. One of the greatest things that's ever happened to me in, in this business right. came from Jim right. in Game 4 of the uh, – I'm sorry, Game 5 – of the 2012 NLDS against the Cardinals. Okay. My college roommate, Bobby Stansel, and I used to watch uh, DC Sports down in Salisbury, as well as the right. Baltimore stuff, too. Uh, but we used to watch uh, Glenn Brenner on Channel 9, who, of course, is no longer with us. Yep. And then Glenn used to had the time slot about, you know, 6.40, and then we'd you know, when Glenn was done, we'd go ahead and turn on George Michael and over watch on Channel Four. Over on Channel Four and watch him and Jim Vance back and right. forth, go back and forth. And of course, the wrestling highlights were a big, big deal with Vance because Vance thought it was ridiculous, and George <laughs> is sitting there playing it up all the time. You know, uh, but uh, Jim sadly succumbed to cancer this morning, yeah. and uh, he was 75 years old. Uh, and but one of the greatest things that ever happened, he and Doreen Gensler. We're up in the press box, and and I walked over to him. And I'd met Vance a couple of different occasions. It some... looked like you. I never met him, but yeah. it looked like you were one of the great guys. One of the great guys. And uh, very, very cool and hip. And he walks over, or I walked over to him, and I said, Jim just wanted to reintroduce myself, Craig Heist, and at the time, WTOP. And he just looked at me, and he went, oh, my God, Heisty. <laughs> and he says, if I can call you that, because that's what everybody else calls you. <laughs> and coming from, coming from, from him, Vance, for, yeah. as, for as long as I'd known of him and I'd met him, I, I just thought it was the coolest thing. Did, so, he, did he, he worked with Sue Simmons for a long time. Uh, didn't he yeah, over on Channel 4? Before Sue Simmons went to right. New York. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, yeah. of course, Sue was here at Channel 11 in Baltimore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, sad to hear the sad news that hear, Jim yeah. Vance has passed away. Uh, the Orioles, uh, when we last left our audience, the Orioles were in the midst of a, a, almost a mugging by the Chicago Cubs, who won uh, three games against the Orioles by a collective score. Was it like 37 to 11? Something, something like, like that. that? And, then, and then the Cubs got well against the Orioles coming out of the break because then they went on to win three more before they finally lost the game. They lost yesterday yeah. to the St. Louis Cardinals 11 to 4, but as luck would have it, the uh, Milwaukee Brewers continued to lose. Now, the team that is sneaking up on both of them is the Pittsburgh Pirates, who have been a very different team since about June 1st. Yeah, and they've raised the Jolly Roger quite a bit yep. <laughs> during the course of the last month and a half. But uh, 
you know, Andrew McCutcheon's playing much better. Playing at a and very ha- high and, level. And has yeah. been since about the end of May. Uh, they've gotten their pitching straightened out a little bit. Uh, so who knows what can happen. There's a lot of baseball to be played. And we're just coming up on the, the area of the season where teams have are starting to get close to 100 games in. Right. So, But there's still a lot of baseball left to be played. Anything can happen. So, anyway, when we last left you, the Orioles were in the midst of that mugging by the Cubs, but the Orioles then went on to sweep the Texas Rangers four straight, mm-hmm. and then the, the reality hit home again that you pitched Ubaldo Jimenez, <laughs> and uh, he didn't have it again last night. He didn't have it again, but I'm going to take – a little bit of a defense of Ubaldo last night. Uh, Had a lot of blue pits against him last night. Yes, there was the home run, uh, but I I thought he probably could have deserved a better fate than what happened as far as getting down 5 nothing right off the bat. But give him credit, he righted the ship a little bit, did get through five innings, uh, and, you know, Blyer gives up two, but for as well as he's pitched lately, yeah, you're not he, down on him. You know, you're not down on him, and you certainly expect a, you know, pitchers are going to give up hits, they are going to give up runs. Uh, but the, the guy out of that bullpen that continues to impress me is Miguel Castro. Mm-hmm. And if you're sitting there looking at starting pitching and and ideas about how to correct it, uh, he may not be stretched out enough, but that's certainly a guy yeah, for this year. For, for this year, that I would well, certainly take a look at. Well, Buck uh, brought that up the other day, yeah. and I I kind of questioned him. I said a couple of minutes ago, "Can I, I? I love when I ask Buck, can I ask you about this?'" And he I always said, says, I "No." See? He goes, "No, yeah. no." Go ahead, go ahead. Uh, and he says, "What would it, what would you do if I said no?" And I said, "Well, I'd just move on." But uh, I said, "You said something rather remarkable." And he goes, "Remarkable? What was that?" I said, "That you might consider Miguel Castro as a starter next year." Because my question, my original question, had been, "Could you see him being next year kind of what Brad Brock has become?" In other words, I'm I'm projecting forward that the Orioles are going to deal with Britain mm-hmm. and that. Brock's going to be the closer next year. Givens moves up to the primary setup guy, and then Castro fits in if they haven't traded O'Day right behind O'Day, and you got a four-man strong pen again. Yeah, you know. Uh, and he said, "Well, actually, he's somebody you, you look at. It's the hardest thing to find is starting pitching, mm-hmm. and we think he might be able to to do, to do that. that." Yeah, and, and certainly with the way he. Uh, his mound presence, the way he goes after guys, uh, and especially what he's done in the one and sometimes two inning stints, uh, really has been impressive for this club. Uh, but when you're looking at it, and you said they're going to deal Britain, uh, I'm not so sure that's going to happen still. So you think they might deal Brock? It's possible, or neither of them. Okay. I think that, that look, I know Mr. A pretty well we've all watched him pretty well and they they certainly are close enough in the wild card standings that a full-blown you know rebuild sell off yeah yeah. is not I don't see that happening but I think you could argue very strongly to your to your crowd your your fans fan base yeah your fan base that hey we're we're not giving up we're just uh, one of our great strengths is the bullpen and we're trading the the guy who's the most vulnerable guy in terms of being here long-term right now, mm-hmm. you know, and that would be Zach Britton. But I could also see Brock being traded and Britton being held on to. But I see it 
the other way around. I just, because I think Brock is sort of eminently signable. I think you could sign Brock to a three- or four-year contract that would make some sense. I don't think the Orioles – I think they're, they're smart enough to know that a closer is going to make 8 or $9 million. I just don't think they want to go down that road of paying $15 million for, or 16 for a closer. And there, Well, but there's also the thing that a lot of fans will, will say, well, you can find a closer anywhere. Right. No, no you can't. Right, exactly. <laughs> no, you can't. Yeah. Especially uh, when you don't have one. Especially you when you don't have one. Right. Exactly. And uh, certainly that's the situation in Washington, although they did do a lot to uh, you know, help their bullpen with the additions of Matson and Doolittle. I'll tell you who looks – I watched him last night for two innings. This guy, Matt Grace. Matt Grace. Well, God, yeah, he, he looks lefty, fantastic. Right. And, that bal- and what that trade did, too, is balance out the bullpen. There's four lefties, four righties. Right. So from a mix-and-match standpoint for Dusty Baker coming down the stretch – that, that it behooves the Nationals and puts them in a better light than they were before. That's a so, big word for you. Well, behooves. I know. Yeah. So. What does behooves mean? It helps them. It's yeah. to their advantage. Very good. There you go. I thought I would throw you a curveball there and you wouldn't be able to hit it. But yeah. you did. I did. Uh, Orioles go at it tonight. Chris Tillman will take the mound for the Baltimore Orioles and the Astros send out Colin McHugh yeah. finally making it back to his first major league start of 2017. And he's an important cog in that rotation for the Astros. Well, and their rotation has been in flux because of injuries throughout the year. And it'll be interesting to see what he has coming out of the chute. Uh, but again, for, if you're an Orioles fan, what you want to look at is the progression of Chris Tillman. And can he put back-to-back quality starts together? Uh, and, and if that happens, then I think maybe you can look at Tillman and say, okay, maybe he's turned the corner, maybe he's coming, becoming yep. the Chris Tillman we're yeah, used I'm to anxious seeing. To, I'm anxious to see yeah. Chris Tillman tonight. All right. Joining us now is a guy who roamed the uh, center field path out at Oriole Park at Camden Yards in and the first can, year of the ballpark. They can talk all they want to about Devon White's catch against the fence right by the bullpen Okay, but Mike Devereaux made just as an amazing catch and one of the one of the best catches I've ever seen in that ballpark. Well, he was certainly a terrific outfielder, and he was a pretty fair hitter as well. And that is number twelve, Mike Devereaux. Mike, how are you? Great, great. How you guys doing? We're doing great. It was great to see you the other night. You did an autograph signing with the Birds at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. How good do those things feel when you do one of those and you get people coming up? Uh, and they're pretty excited to, to see one of their former heroes. Oh, I, I love it. I mean, I spent seven years in Baltimore, and uh, to, to see that the, the fans are still there, it, it, it's just an incredible feeling and, you know, an incredible ballpark also. And I, I just had a, a tremendous time there seeing everybody. Hard to believe it's been 25 years? <laughs> I know it, right? I mean, 25 <laughs> years, and the stadium still looks incredible. It's it's actually this is the twenty sixth season that the ball club's playing there. What what do you remember? When was the first time you saw the ballpark? Was it that was it that exhibition game against the Mets on the Saturday before the opening day? Uh, yes, actually, um, we were there. We left from the ballpark to go to spring training that year, and it wasn't finished yet. And okay. I was like, okay, six weeks. There's no way they're going to finish this. And when we came back from spring training late or early morning, one o'clock in the morning or so, 
Uh, I remember Ray and I, you know, walked through the clubhouse, and then we walked out into the dugout, and there's one bank of lights on, and, you know, it almost brought a tear to my eye. It was just incredible. We're like, no way. (laughs) (laughs) It was just crazy how nice it it looked. And obviously the next day uh, we had that exhibition game. Let me ask you this. The first time, well, what I was going to say was the first time I ever saw uh, the stadium was before they had actually physically put the seats in the right. stadium. We went down uh-huh. there. Yeah. We went down there for a Cal Ripken press conference, and they stuck the microphone uh, for this press conference on what would be the third base side of the of the stadium. Uh, and and Cal finished out the press conference by drinking a glass of milk. <laughs> now, when would that have been? Like before uh, spring training? Yeah, before. Oh, yeah, yeah, like certainly. January or something. Yeah, like in that. the off season during the winter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. But and, and you were kind of physically looking around at the ballpark, trying to figure out, okay, this is going to be here. How's this going to play? You know, and and the one thing we did notice, which did turn out to come to fruition, was the fact that we were looking out in left field and we were like, wow, that looks pretty short. <laughs> and, <laughs> and and as it turned out, Mike, a lot of people, especially left-handed hitters, uh, you know, used to kind of wear out that 364. Uh, Mark in left field, and uh, I remember specifically Rafael Palmero. We always used to say, oh, "There's another Camden Yards home run." <laughs> How do you think the? I mean, you had to chase fly balls down. How do you think the park played? Well, you know, I first of all, I I I think that every field should have a a, a fence that is at least low enough to to get over to take home runs away because that's. That is a, a, a great play in the, in the game of baseball. And, you know, when you have tall fences, they're like, you know, 15 feet all the way around or whatever, where you just have to sit and watch the ball go over the fence, you know, it just takes a great part of the game away. So, um, you know, it played, it, it definitely, you know, you could hit home runs out of it, but you could also take home runs. And uh, and I, 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 I like that. I like that fact uh, from that, that park. Obviously, in right field, is couldn't get over that wall, so... <laughs> So, uh, but, um, you know, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, it was a great place to be, great place to play. We're talking with Mike Devereaux, former Orioles outfielder. He was in town a little bit. And you'll be back in August. You were in town for autograph signing at the stadium, some alumni signing. But you'll be back in August for the luncheon, correct? Oh, yes, absolutely. My entire family will be there for, for that. And we're really excited uh, to come back to to see that for the 25th anniversary. So, so rem- tell me, tell us what it was like that first couple. What was it? A couple, first couple home stands. Hold on, uh, the first couple home stands there. What the team won? I think nine home nine. The first nine games in the history of the stadium. Oh really? Oh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was the first nine games. They were all, wow. you know, every night was sold out. What was it like back then? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I played. I mean, played there for seven years, and if it wasn't sold out, I I couldn't tell. But every game there was sold out, so it was just a joy. And that first day, I remember seeing people on on the on the roofs of the buildings downtown. You know, I don't know how good they could see the stadium, but, <laughs> but they were everywhere, and it was it was incredible. If you recall, you know, the new Kaminsky Stadium was built and finished in 1991. Right. And there's nobody said anything about that. 
So it was just like a stadium was built. Then Cameron Yards came through, and it was, you know, Good Morning America, I believe, was there. And, I mean, it was like everything. And uh, and it, 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 it still, you know, has that charm. And, and just to play there, just knowing every single day. Do you still sell out? Do you still ever think back to that first opening day, the Sutcliffe shutout? Oh yeah, definitely. In two that hours and game. two minutes. Two hours oh. and two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> can't get any better than that. No. I mean, it was a gorgeous day out, and uh, and you know, Sutcliffe, you know, did the job. It was crazy. Hey, hey, Mike. Uh, that team they acquired Rick Sutcliffe to be kind of the the veteran heady guy to head a staff that included Ben McDonald and Mike Musina. What does it mean to a team to know it's got a pretty strong th- top three in a rotation? That's something that the Orioles this year they thought they might have with Tillman, Gosman, and Bundy, but it kind of for different reasons in all three of them. Uh, it's sort of evaporated, but what's it? How important is it to have the oh. the starting pitching be at least quality enough to keep you in games? No, oh, it, it's very important. I mean, when you have, you know, the pitchers that we had that that went out there and we knew we we're going to get quality starts, you know, a lot of the time, and it, it's easier to play defense behind them, and um, you know, know that they're going to be throwing strikes and and going right after hitters. It's 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 very important. Uh, it, it's you know it, it it makes the entire team better, of course. Um, I mean, there really aren't very many you know top of the line teams, hardly any that doesn't have you know a decent pitching staff, and uh, it just brings confidence to the team all around. We're talking to Mike Devereaux, uh, former Orioles outfielder, and. Uh... Uh, Stan talked about the fact that maybe the Orioles had won their first seven. They won six of seven because they lost the over, or they won the opener, lost then, the second, then game. lost the second one, then won. and yeah, then okay, yeah. took that series. And then later the so tie. what you're saying was I was wrong, basically, but in a nice kind of way. <laughs> Diva, let me ask you something. You played with a lot of great players, and and you played at a time with the Orioles where they were trying to find their wings a little bit, if you will. Uh, in the early 90s, under John, Frank first and Johnny Oates. Uh, could, you, could you see maybe the potential of that club as they headed toward two playoff years uh, in, in 96 and 97? Of course, the strike in 94 kind of killed everything. But you right. guys were mathematically alive coming down the stretch against the Blue Jays before they won their uh, second of two consecutive World Series in 93. Uh, but, but could you see that that team had the potential to become what it did eventually? Uh, yeah, I mean, 89 uh, at the uh, Memorial Stadium, you know, we were the youngest team in the league, and and uh, we really, uh, we, I mean, our pitchers were young, and and we relied a lot on, on defense. So, I mean, I think that was very important. And you just saw it coming along. The next couple of years weren't as good, but the fact that um, that, you know, we had a good defensive team which always kept us in the game and then we got some you know the 96 we got some veteran players that came in and uh and uh, you know obviously helped us out but yeah she definitely saw it, saw it coming you had you had they were a game under 500 and like uh i think it's 50 and 51 in 96 on early august august 2nd or 3rd but then when eddie got there and what 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 was that like you know, as you guys made the wild card that year. 
Yeah, that that was great. I mean, you know, it had you know, it's, it's funny because we had a, a team meeting uh, that, that that Cal had that kind of pumped us up and 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 got us through. You know, with Cal and Eddie and Benia and we had Palmero. I mean, uh, we just kind of got it together and 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 uh, and just made that run for it to get the wild card and and then we what we beat Cleveland. Uh, in that wild card, we weren't supposed to be them on the, on the Alomar then, home run in Game Four, yeah, in extra right, innings. Right. Yes, and then we go and play against New York, and we know what happened there. Right. Uh, and that 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 hurt because you know we were on a roll. I hate that brat and, to this uh, day. <laughs> yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll tell you. And uh, so, you know, we if we would have won that game, there's no telling what would have happened. But that that uh, you know took the air out of us. Unfortunately, we're talking with and, Mike uh, Devereaux, former Orioles outfielder and uh, part of the Orioles <laughs> celebration of their 25th anniversary at Camden Yards. Uh, Mike, you were part of and I'm trying to figure out what year it was in my head. I know it was at Memorial Stadium, the famous home run that you hit that went around the foul pole that the Angels yeah. manager, Doug Rader, took exception to. Uh, won a game. Was it in extra innings? Was that was that ninety one or ninety? Um, I'm thinking. I, I I thought it was eighty nine, but it might have been ninety. Okay. Um, yeah, I thought it was so, in the I thought it was in the why not year. Okay, yeah. eighty nine. Yeah, right. yeah, I'm thinking it was eighty nine. Why not year? Yeah, that was. Uh, yeah, Raider was uh, not happy about that, and I mean he's extremely upset. And now, you know, it, now was, it was it was really close. Now this is a fa- this is a bit of a family show, but so we won't get into the exact language that Doug Rader used. But the next night, when they go to take the lineup cards out, Doug Rader is thrown out of the game before the game even started. Did you did you know what he had said to the umpires? No, no. no. <laughs> I don't well, know. Actually, if I did, I couldn't repeat it. He had it. He had it written on the lineup card, and <laughs> oh, the umpire. That's right. That's right. The umpire it. took the lineup card, looked at it, and immediately threw him, <laughs> threw him out. And, and again, yes, this is a family show. We can't tell you what was on the lineup card. <laughs> that was one of the great moments. Of, I, it was one of the funniest stories you've ever seen. Well, you know what? Yeah, that you that story. For that kind of type of thing. That story and the famous Earl Weaver Bill Haller oh, uh, argument yeah, on yeah. it's always the balk. It's, it's on YouTube and Mike right. Flanagan yeah. balks and this and that and. And Weaver goes out and he's yelling at Haller. The, the best part of that though is Weaver walks out and he goes, "Well," and Flanagan goes, "I I balked yeah, her." and he goes, what the hell? I'm out of here. Anyway. That 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 was the the greatest thing ever because Flanagan told me, and God rest Mike's soul, he said one of the great things about that argument, that whole video, is whenever the club was down or something like that, a few of us would get that video out and watch it. Right. And he says, and the, <laughs> the great thing about it is, he says. What nobody really knows is Earl comes running out and he goes, "Did you balk?" And I said, "Yeah." And he says, "Dad, hell with it." <laughs> he <laughs> he just, still he just, just went right after Haller. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Hey, hey, I gotta ask you a question. You played a, a large part of your career as a Baltimore Oriole, and you played, uh, you know, center field behind a shortstop named Cal Ripken. So you were a large part of his streak. But the year that he broke the record, you had been dealt to the um, to the Atlanta Braves. Uh, I mean, the White Sox and the Braves in '95. 
that hurt not being part of that celebration? It, it, it's funny because when I when I got traded in spring of '89, uh, I I did the math and and uh, I realized that it'd be seven years till Cal broke the record, and I was thinking if all goes well. I'll be a free agent after six years, and I'm going to miss it. And, and, and sure enough, that's exactly what happened. And, and that day that he broke the record, I was in Texas playing against the Rangers, and we had a rainout. It's crazy. We had a rainout, and I was able to sit in my hotel room by myself right. and watch that game. Wow. So even though I did miss it, I was able to watch that game. And, uh, and I, I was I was... I was happy to at least to see that because, you know, Cal, there's Cal, you know, he's a very significant part of, of my career, of course, you know, playing seven years there and, and learning from him and how to play the game. So, uh, so that, that was incredible to be able to, uh, to sit down by myself and just watch that game, even though I wasn't there. The amount of drama and theater that Cal brought uh, to the game and always, you know, he had the flair for just the impossible happening, and sure enough, on those two nights, it happened where he homers in both games. Yeah. I mean, mean. you know, that's the kind of player he was, and I remember the move from when Bordick got here in 97, the, the, the move from short to third, First ball that's hit to him, right. he's got to make a Brooks Robinson-esque play, yeah. diving to the foul line, get up on one knee and throw the runner out. I mean, that's you know, and then you just look at it and say, yeah, well, that's Cal. Yeah, that's Cal. That's the Iron Man. That's the Iron Man. That's right. I mean, <laughs> it's crazy. <clears throat> and even that first game in '89, the Why Not season against Clemens, where yeah, people were predicting that he threw a no hitter. He was going to throw a no hitter. I was like, wow, this guy's pretty good. And uh, and Cal goes deep. You know, yeah. that's him. That's how he does it. I want to talk about another one of your teammates, and I know you don't get a big say in who gets into the Hall of Fame. You don't even have a vote, but you have an opinion. Uh, it's my opinion that one of the most overlooked players over the last three years has been Mike Mussina. He is not getting the the totals of votes that his his work commands that he get. And uh, your thoughts on Mike Mussina's candidacy as a Hall of Fame pitcher, Mike? Well, you know, you know, he did so well for us, and he went on and, and, and did the same thing for the Yankees. And, I mean, he was steady. He was such a steady player day in and day out. There wasn't a lot of flair with him, but he just went out and, and, and did his job. I mean, he's great to play behind, and, and I honestly believe that he, that he should. I mean, with the, with the work and the, uh, the games that he put in um, and the way he went about his business, it's just unfortunate that, you know, his, I don't know, uh, like I said, there was no flair in it, but he went out and did his job day in and day out. I, I'm so not I, taking I a single thing away from Greg Maddox, John Smoltz, or Tom Glavin, but they all benefited from the fact that they had each other in the eyes of, of those that voted. Mike didn't have that kind of trio, and he didn't have that kind of team around them. No. His numbers are far superior than Glavin's, and Glavin got in on the first ballot. Yeah, yep, and you're right. I mean, that it had to do with being in you know, the Braves and winning all those championships, and uh, and uh, having uh, Addicts and uh, and Smoltz and you know those guys around. Well, I, I think Mike is trending in the right way. He was stuck in the 20s, 
Last year, 43% of the yeah, vote. Yeah, I think this is a big year this, to this get over a, 60. Yeah, if he can get over 60 and that kind of thing, I think – uh, I, I think he'll trend in the right way and eventually get in. Uh, but right. the other part of it is you also have to look at who else is on the ballot as yep. well. And there's a lot of players up for this, yeah. you know. And, and of course, uh, when you talk about winning 270 games and pitching your entire career in the American League East and right. in, the, in the steroid era. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and pitching right. against the DH, which Glavin didn't have to do. Right, exactly. Right. You know, and then one of the funny things that uh, uh, Greg Maddox also told me one day, he said, you know what, if I pitched in the American League, my ERA would have been at least a run higher. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. there's a lot to be said for that, yeah, Spe- I mean, especially when it's mean? coming from him. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you throw a DH into the game. I mean, it's not just an average player or average hitter, this is a DH. It's a bona fide hitter. It's usually the DH. And so, yeah, I mean, that's as opposed to throwing against a, a pitcher who's usually not going to get a hit. So, right. And, absolutely. Mike, I know you took your – you kind of took a year off this year from being in the game to spend time with the kids and, and watch them grow a little bit and be around because that's something that a baseball player doesn't often get a chance to do. Uh, but right. what would you like to do in the game? What, what's Mike Devereaux's next goal? Um, I, I, I definitely enjoy player development um, at, uh, at the level. Um, I, you know, obviously, I'd love to be with, with Baltimore because that's you know practically my home uh, with the Orioles. But I, I enjoy. I, I don't think I'll ever want to leave the game. Um, I've, I've done individual, uh, lessons here. I've been doing that for, for a while, but, um, I, I, I like putting players in a position to, uh, uh, to experience what I've experienced in this game, which is a, a, a tremendous game. So I, I, I definitely want to stay involved. Do you, do you, for a guy that played, would you play 14, 15 years in the big leagues? Do, does it matter if it's at a, at a Bowie or an Aberdeen, or does it need to be at the major league level for you? No, you know what? It, it, when I first started eight years ago, I, I thought about you know being at the, wanting to be at the big league level, which is great. I trust right. me, if somebody gives a big league offer, I'll, I'll take it. But um, as far as player development, I'm I'm fine with that. You know, I've I, I've been away from my family, and I, obviously I'd I like to spend a lot more time with my family. So if I can get something like you know, obviously in Aberdeen, where it's like half the season, and they spring train in Sarasota, and I live out here in Florida. It'd be something would be ideal, but um, uh, but but you know, player development. I I, I enjoy that. If uh, that's what I've been doing, and that's what I've I've thought of of late. That to say, you know, I my kids got to grow up, and I uh, I have you know them to play with. So uh, big leagues, I would never say no. So, so player <laughs> development, not... you got the chance to, to work with a couple of young guys in the Oriole organization who have gone on to be pretty fair players in Manny Machado and Jonathan Scope. 2017 right. really seems like it's a coming out party for Jonathan Scope as he's, uh, as he's sort of staking his claim at superstardom. Does it surprise you how good he's gotten, Mike? No, not at all. Uh, I had uh, Johnson and uh, Manny in, in, in 2011 when we won it all in in, uh, in Frederick in High A, 
And it's funny because I told my wife, I mean, Scope has some of the best hands that I've seen at second base. And he's a big, strong kid also. Mm -hmm. And I told my wife, this guy is going to be special. And plus, he can hit. He has a good backspin on the ball. and He can hit all fields. He has power that uh, that he's not trying to hit home runs. He hits the lines I've seen. And I was like, this guy's going to be something else. So, no, it is not a surprise at all that uh, Scope is uh, doing what he's doing. And he's going to be doing it for a long time. And Manny Machado, obviously, much heralded when he was drafted number one by the Baltimore Orioles. So that, that was not a surprise how good he became and so fast. Yeah, yeah, that, that wasn't a surprise either. And the thing about Manny, you know, he um, he stepped off. He steps up to the plate. I mean, goes to the big leagues, you know. Uh, I, I don't say it was a win, but, but – a lot of times you don't know how good players are going to be once they get to the big leagues. That's what's kind of different about this game. How how do you play when the lights actually come on? And Manny is one of those guys that, you know, when the lights come on, you know, he's ready to perform. And that's exactly what he's done. He's having a tough year this year when it comes to hitting, but he still got his home runs. And it, and it happens. So he'll be right back on track, I'm sure. All right. Mike Devereaux, thanks for spending a, a few minutes with us. Uh, we uh, think fondly back to the times when you were in an Oriole uniform. Uh, those are, for a lot of us, the good old days. We'll talk to you soon, Mike. All right. Hey, thanks a lot, guys. You guys have a good day. All right. Thank you. There's Mike Devereaux, one of the really good guys. Still one of the very good guys, and I'm telling you, I still think it was one of the best catches I've ever seen in that ballpark. Yeah. Can we can we say what the was one no, of the we lineup can't, cards? No, we can't tell what's on <laughs> Doug Raider's lineup card to the umpire. All right, you've got something to... Uh, I do. Let the Ironbirds, the Aberdeen Ironbirds, take all the stress out of planning your family's next night out, introducing the Green Turtle Friends and Family Package. Get four Ironbird tickets with this, four Green Turtle dinners, and four Ironbirds caps for just $49.96. That's a $208 For how much? Forty-nine ninety-six. Wow! All right, you can purchase your Green Turtle friends and family package online today. Check them out: www.ironbirdsbaseball.com. Your summer starts now. And if you like great food, and Craig Heist does like great food, and, and you like shirts. baseball, <laughs> <laughs> you have to visit Big Bats Cafe located just over the Bay Bridge in Ken Island. Take the first exit to 216 St. Clair Place. Big Bats is the winner of the Golden Anchor Award and voted Best Burgers and Wings. It's like visiting Cooperstown, but with food. Check them out at BigBats.com. We're back with Mel Antonin after a couple more messages. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Steve Ginsburg profiles former Baltimore Sun reporter Ken Rosenthal, now one of baseball's most prominent voices for Fox Sports and MLB Network. Plus, Ravens beat writer Bo Smolka previews training camp, 10 questions with Orioles closer Zach Britton, and more. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Let the Aberdeen Ironbirds take all the stress out of planning your family's next night out. Introducing the Green Turtle Friends and Family Package. Get four Ironbirds tickets, four Green Turtle dinners, and four Ironbirds caps for just $49.96. That's a $208 value for $49.96. 
Purchase your Green Turtle friends and family package online today by visiting ironbirdsbaseball.com. Your summer starts now. Charm City's newest football team, the Baltimore Brigade, are taking arena football to the next level at Royal Farms Arena. This is the first ever season, and you're going to want to be there for it all. Catch a great game with your family sitting close to the field, or get your night started with friends in the bunker party zone. Baltimore Brigade football is high-speed, action-packed, non-stop excitement everyone can enjoy. Get your tickets now at BaltimoreBrigade.com or by calling 667-930-0200. Baltimore Brigade football presented by Med. Star Health, brick by brick. Kyle, here's the thing. Since we're streaming live now every day at Facebook.com slash Sports, video-wise, I'm going to need you to step your game up when it comes to what you wear to work every day from 10 to noon. Uh, I hear you. I mean, I, I'm, they can't see my legs. I can still wear the chaps. Okay, that's fine. I just don't understand for me why they have to be assless chaps. I have the chaps that I have. Well, okay. And I have the toes that I have. This is what we do every day from 10 to noon. Glenn Clark, Kyle Ottenheimer for Glenn Clark Radio. I'm not sure that you'll learn anything. I'm not sure that you'll ever really be entertained. But afterwards, it's going to be a pleasant experience for all involved. How does that work? Yeah, don't worry about it. Glenn Clark Radio and Facebook.com slash Sports. A new summer menu with two great new items at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. First up, the Smokehouse Barbecue Bacon Sandwich. It's Chick-fil-A's signature grilled chicken and new bacon glazed in a brown sugar pepper blend. Served on a Hawaiian-style bun with Colby Jack cheese, green leaf lettuce, and a zesty Smokehouse Barbecue sauce that's crafted specifically for the sandwich. They also have the Watermelon Mint Lemonade. You can get it as a regular or a diet lemonade. It's got all-natural watermelon and mint flavors, and it's complementary to the Smokehouse Barbecue sandwich. Get the Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square 5198 Campbell Boulevard in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. Tell Steve Pavlovsky we said hello and get there before August 19th because these items are available for a limited time only. We are back with the best bat around program that has ever been done. Right, Craig? That's what I hear. There's a rumor out there that says, yes. Bonza, do you feel that way? Is today's show the best we've ever done? I think it's best if I keep quiet. That's probably, he's probably right about that. Probably right about Hmm. that. All right, we are back with the bat around on this Saturday. Uh, Joining us now is uh, a former USA Today writer who now writes for Masson, and he's a baseball analyst for the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report, hosted by our friend Rob Long. Dave Johnson, Phil Wood are on there quite often, and he is uh, one of the most uh, informed baseball writers there is in the country, and that's Mel Antonin. Mel, how are you? Hey, guys. How are you? I think I had you fooled, though. Thank you for that introduction. All right. (laughs) (laughs) I got you fooled. All right. (laughs) Mel, Mel, let me ask you, uh, because you're, you're out at the ballpark all the time, uh, a little bit of fool's gold maybe with that four-game winning streak uh, over the Rangers, and then the Astros come to town and kind of prove, albeit the ninth inning aside yesterday, uh, prove why they're the best team in the American League. Yeah, the Astros are awfully good. I mean, we've been questioning their pitching pretty much all year after Dallas Keuchel and Lance McCullers. Of course, Keuchel's on the disabled list, but Boy, the way Mike Fires was pitching last night with that looping curveball and a lot more sinkers lower in the zone, I don't know if they've got enough. Ro- I don't know if they've got enough in their rotation to um, to go deep into the postseason. But Fires, 
has been pitching very well lately. So I, I don't know if I, they got Colin McHugh pitches tonight. He's making his season debut after spending all season on the DL. This is a big night for the Astros. They got to get some pitching. That's all there's to it. What is the, uh, you know, and I understand the reason you want to be very careful, but back in May, Dallas Keuchel went on the disabled list, and then he came back and made three or four excellent starts again, then went back on the disabled list with the same injury, which sounds like a, a disc herniation or an impingement in his neck. Do, do you get the sense they're being extra careful, or is there any shot at all he might not even come back this year? No, they're, 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 he's going to start his rehabilitation, I think, this week. Okay. And and uh, so, no, I they've been very conservative, and they have the luxury of doing that, given their, what, 15, 16 games up in their division. They've just got such a great offense. Their bullpen is above average but could use some help as well. And even without Carlos Correa out with that thumb injury for about six to eight weeks, this offense is absolutely incredible. They might have three MVP candidates in El Tuve, Two now with Springer, Altuve and Springer, and Correa certainly would have been an MVP candidate if he'd stayed healthy. But no, I think you know I think Keuchel's coming back, but they're counting on a lot of they got. It's amazing they've won as many games as they have with the pitching questions they have. We're talking with Mel Antonin of Masson Sports and MassonSports.com. Mel, uh, before we get to talking a little bit about the Orioles and the trade deadline. One of the rumors circulating is that the Astros are talking to the Detroit Tigers in some way, shape, or form about a deal that might bring them both both Justins out of the uh, pitching staff of the Tigers, and that's, of course, iconic Justin Verlander and uh, Justin Wilson, their closer, who would not close with them. Do you think there's much traction there, and what exactly would the Astros have to do or the Tigers do with that money because Verlanders do what about seventy million dollars over the next two next years couple. plus the remaining two months of this season. Yeah. Uh, well, what the Tigers would do is start rebuilding. They're willing to trade anybody with the big time contract, and Verlanders one of them. So I don't know if the Tigers would reinvest it right away. It would depend on what kind of foundation they built with the prospects they get. But what's interesting about Verlander is. If he pitches in the second half of this season like he did last year when he almost when he got a few Cy Young votes, that would be a good move. But Verlander has not pitched like Verlander we expect, even a, a, a transformed Verlander going from a, a, a power pitcher to a command pitcher. He hasn't pitched all that well. So it would be a big gamble. Justin Wilson is, uh, has been a very good relief pitcher, but he's got very little experience as a closer. And so my question for... Justin Wilson would be, and anybody that's following me, do you worry about Justin Wilson's experience if you get into the postseason and have to close out a game in Fenway Park in the middle of October? I don't know. I think just those are legitimate questions. But the point is the Astros need a starter and they need a reliever. They've got, you know, they've got a pretty good bullpen, but they could use one more arm, which is indicative of how important um, relievers are and a strong bullpen is in the postseason. Mel, did the Nationals solve their bullpen issues with the acquisition of Matson and Doolittle from the A's? And, no, and or do they still need or do they still need to go out and get another arm and preferably a, a, an honest to goodness closer? Well, I think they need to get an honest to goodness closer. Sean Doolittle has shoulder issues. All the scouting reports that I've heard and talked to about people around him is he's a very good pitcher. 
but you just never know about his shoulder, and he spent some time on the DL. Ryan Matson is is uh, has made an amazing comeback in baseball, and he looked good. He's looked good so far with the Nationals, but I think Mike Rizzo is looking, Craig, for for another closer. They're hard to find, given that most general consensus was that the Twins with Brandon Kinsler, Kelvin Herrera in Kansas City, and Alex Colomay in Tampa Bay would be three closers that would be on the market. But each of those teams, the Rays, Royals, and Twins, are all in the race. So the market is even a little tighter. And when you consider the Brewers, the Astros, and the Dodgers, and the Mariners have already picked up two relievers, it's telling you that the, the market for relief pitching is uh, is pretty expensive. But i got to think that Mike Rizzo is trying to find a closer. I just don't know where he goes. But yeah. he needs. To, I think they need more help. It's funny because Stan and I started the show just talking about some general things, and one of them was the fact that certain teams are looking for closers and things of that nature. And I, and I made the comment to Stan that you go online, you see all these chat rooms and things of that nature where fans will sit there and say, ah, you can find a closer anywhere. Well, no, you can't. <laughs> no, you can't. They're hard to find. Both plans are fluid. And you never I've never heard a general manager or a manager or a pitching coach say, gee, our bullpen is now complete. Right. They're in constant motion, constantly being rebuilt, whether it's January or July. And uh, the Dodgers' bullpen is thin. Uh, the, the Astros have a lot of pitchers in their bullpen, but, you know, they, they it's not that efficient. Their ERA is a little high. You, you Same know thing what, with one the Cubs thing, and certainly the Brewers. You know what one thing is very tricky, though, is look at Justin Wilson. He On, the, on paper – and, and I've watched him on certain occasions. He certainly is a dominant-looking closer. Other games, I've seen him get racked pretty good. But his numbers are good. But when you're pitching for a team that's 12, 13 games, 15 games out of first place, the pressure is very different closing out those games than it is when you start to get into the postseason. And that's something that's very hard to measure, isn't it, Mel? Oh, I agree. That's that's a good point, Stan. It is very hard to measure. I mean, you can look at stats, you can look at performances in June or July, but it's another thing when there's an October chill in the air and there's 50,000 people yelling at you. It's not easy. It, I mean, it can be done. Yep. Certainly, experience isn't the only thing, but it's awfully nice to have. You don't necessarily need experience to be successful, but it's awfully nice to have. You, you hear a lot of rumors and things of that nature as you get closer to the trade deadline, Mel. You've got nine more days. What What's the one big trade or one big name that you think uh, will surface and, and maybe go to another team and help that team? Oh, I think without a doubt, Craig, it, Sonny Gray is leaving Oakland. Mm-hmm. I think he could end up with Houston. I think he could end up with the Brewers, and I think he could end up with the Dodgers. All three of those teams have prospects that could trade. I think he's valuable because he's pitching well. He's under team control for another three years, so he'd be very valuable. I would be shocked if um, if uh, Sonny Gray didn't go. On the other hand, Garrett Cole two weeks ago sounded like he was uh, uh, Garrett Cole of the Pirates. Sounded like he was a guy that was going to be traded for sure. But the Pirates have been surging a little bit, so. If you want Garrett Cole, you're going to have to you're going to have to really pay big time. But I think Sonny Gray is going to be gone, and it'll be interesting to see what happens with Urban Santana in Minnesota. We're talking with Mel Antonin of Masson Sports and MassonSports.com. Mel, uh, locally here, uh, 
the Houston Astros happen to be in town. Their general manager, Jeffrey Lunau, is in town. I understand from some sources that uh, it, the dance card of Dan Duquette and Jeff Lunau is going to include a meeting. Um, how serious a, a fit do you think Zach Britton would be for the Astros, or who do you think he's the best fit for? I think he's the best fit for a lot of teams because of how good he is and the fact. But, you know, everybody, everybody the, the Brewers have a closer. The Dodgers have a closer. Obviously, he's not going to supplant Kenley Jansen. And Ken Giles is doing a great job for Houston. So if Zach Britton gets traded, it would be in a, he would be used in a closer's role. I think the team that needs the bullpen the worst, the thinnest bullpen, is the Dodgers. Yeah, they got Jansen setting up. Yeah, Pedro Baez has pitched well. But after that, there's a bunch of questions. So in my mind, the team that has the best chance to get Zach Britton would be the Dodgers. Although, you know, the Cubs would like to make a trade for Zach Britton as well, everything I hear. But, you know, they've traded away a lot of their prospects. Would they, would they trade more again? I don't know. You know, it's interesting. I wrote earlier this week that I, I saw Zach Britton being this year's Andrew Miller, and you made an interesting correction to my way of thinking Explain to our listeners why you don't see him being quite the the moving piece that Andrew Miller was. I think he's as valuable as Andrew Miller to a team like Andrew Miller was to the Cleveland Indians. But I'm not sure, given the injury and the fact that Zach Ritten has told me on a number of occasions that he can only pitch multiple innings twice a week at the most. Right. I don't think he's as durable as Andrew Miller. I think he can have the same effect as Andrew Miller on a different team. But I don't see him pitching three innings on Tuesday, two more on Thursday, and then another couple on Friday. I just don't see that, particularly after a season where he's been injured. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean to say that Zach Britton wouldn't be valuable for any contender in baseball. I just don't think he's got the durability issues, or I think he's got more durability issues than Andrew Miller does. It would be very difficult to imagine Zach Britton pitching two innings one night, two innings the next mm-hmm. night in the postseason like Terry Francona Used Miller. Andrew yeah, Miller that's last a good point. year. That's a good point. Uh, yeah, I think it is. It's just uh, he's not used to it. Andrew Miller is used to Andrew Miller's uh, so Britain's former starter as well, but they're just two different pitchers in my mind. Mel, if the Orioles are shopping Britain, doesn't it make sense that they would also perhaps shop Darren O'Day to the loser in the Britain sweepstakes? Because the teams that are after Britain – are after really a second banana anyway. Uh, and Zach, uh, it seems to me Darren O'Day would have quite a bit of value to the same teams we're talking about. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a good point. A lot of, a lot of this market forces, you know, we always talk about what's going to happen. You know, we always talk about like July 10th, what's going to happen, what's going to happen. I don't think the market forces have really, really focused or, or solidified yet. I think there's still a lot of moving pieces. I think Dan Duquette knows what Team A, Team B, Team C, Team D would give him for Britain and what they would give him for O'Day. There's a lot of deals made that would say, well, if I can't have Britain, this is what I'd give you for O'Day, depending on this, depending on that. So I would assume Dan Duquette's got, Dan Duquette's got a sheet of paper that say, if this, then this, if this, then that. And then it kind of all comes together right before the deadline. So, yeah, I think that's a good point. Britain obviously is valuable because under team control, not only for this year, but next year. So, and, and O'Day and would be controlled, even though O'Day's eight million plus is, is a significant number for two, two years, eight next year and the year after. 
at least it's controllable, you know. Yeah, oh yeah, it is. And, you know, Darren O'Day might not seem valuable now, but if there's a contending team out there on July 30th that hasn't got a relief pitcher and there's been some kind of injury or slump or something, the team's going to say, hey, we can pay $8 million a year. We can pay $8 million a year. I mean, everything changes so minute-to-minute sometimes, day-to-day certainly, uh, in the trade market that <laughs> you never know. But, yeah, I think there, I think that your original point is spot on. So is this other point that I'm going to make kind of spot on too? Knowing Peter Angelos the way you do, you've observed him quite a bit from far. He's not one at this point in his life, especially just turned 88 or 89 years old on July the 4th. He's not into buying green bananas, I don't think, as owner of a baseball team. He's going to more try to reload for 2018. So it seems to me you trade Britain and O'Day – you really want to hang on to Brock and Givens and now maybe Castro's part of a three, a three headed monster. Yeah. If you want to fix, yeah, I agree. And he has no reason. The Orioles have no reason to give any of these guys away. If the market, if the market doesn't give them exactly what they want, there's no need to say, well, we'll just get rid of them. That then that would just, you know, that would be a tough luck situation for the Orioles. But look what happened to the Yankees last year when they traded Chapman. That could happen to the Orioles. So if they don't get their price, there's no harm in keeping these guys. Okay. Mel, let me ask you something real quick about the Nationals, and that's that with Joe Ross now out for the year and then most of next year as well with the Tommy John surgery, we saw Edwin Jackson get signed by this team after his release from the Orioles, and he goes out there on a spot start against Anaheim and throws seven innings of one-run ball is this a resurgence for Edwin? Is it too early to tell? And what do you think the future is now in terms of the Nationals and the fifth starter spot as we head down the stretch the last two and a half, two, two months and about a week of the season? Great question, Craig. I think Edwin Jackson will pitch in the number five spot for a while. And then they have other options as well. Maybe Eric Fetty in September, maybe A.J. Cole, maybe somebody from the minor leagues. But I think the number five rotation spot is just there for insurance. Just pitch well enough that you don't wear out the bullpen. With the big lead, um, the number five guy is not going to be pitching in the postseason anyway. He's going to be in the bullpen. So what they need is just somebody consistent, somebody that doesn't go out every five days and turn it over and, and make the bullpen tired. But Edwin Jackson, what a story. I mean, he's done a little bit of everything. As you know, he's been an all-star. Yeah. He struck out Ryan Zimmerman in the 2009 all-star game is pitching for Detroit. How about that? Yeah. But $50 million contract, all-star team, led the league in losses, closer, set up. He's done everything. He's only 33 years old. And he pinch ran last night. (laughs) Did he pinch run? Yeah. And and he was part part of that 2012 team that made the run against the Cardinals. Yeah, and he pitched in the World Series for the Cardinals, and he was traded for Max Scherzer. Yeah. Yep. Hey, we're, ta- we're talking to Mel Anton, and Mel, before we wrap up, another name that we haven't talked about at all, uh, the, the, the Marlins got rid of David Phelps. Uh, he went to the, to the Mariners the other day. And then the other bullpen piece they have that's valuable is A.J. Ramos. I'm reading about eight teams are interested in him. Where do you see him fitting, and could he be the guy ultimately that the Nationals try and bank their hopes on? He could be. Yeah, he could be. I would think, though, the price, again, is going to be high. 
because everybody's looking for uh, everybody's looking for uh, relief help, and the market has shrunk given unexpectedly three teams in the race that weren't supposed to be in the race. He could end up anywhere. He could end up he could end up in Washington. He could end up in L.A. Uh, any any contender virtually wants him, and it's it, it, there's no way to predict. There's no way to predict how the market is going to go in the last eight or nine days. I, I, I can't even answer that. All right, one know. last thing. I, I lied to you. I said that was the last question. That's what right. Do I do think that the, to people all the time. What do you think the Red Sox need most of all? I think, uh, I, I think a third baseman. Uh, obviously, let Pablo Sandoval go. And how much do you think they are regretting trading Travis Shaw to the Brewers? I mean, he's been incredible for. <laughs> yeah. But they traded Travis Shaw because they had the ninety million dollar contract with Pablo Sandoval. They've got this kid by the name of Rafael Devers in the minor leagues. He's one of their top prospects. They just promoted him from Double A AA to Triple A, and the speculation is that he's going to end up playing third base in uh, mid August, late August. And the Red Sox are hoping that he can do for the Red Sox this year what Xander Bogarts did for them in 2013 postseason, where just come up and just light a fire. But they need help at third base, and uh, they were looking they were looking to the White Sox for Todd Fraser, but uh, they couldn't match the price. So I think their pitching is strong, their bullpen is good, they're getting Carson Smith back, it looks like. So I think third base would be their biggest issue. All right. He's Mel Antonin. Masson Sports and MassonSports.com. You can read his stuff on MassonSports.com or you can see him on the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report. Mel, thanks for spending some time with us. You guys are the greatest. Thanks a million. Right, thanks, thank Mel. You. Did you hear that, Craig? We're yeah. the greatest. There you go. We just said this is the we're, best we're, show we've ever done. We're legends in our own minds. Yes, we are. Yes. And we tap on the table oh, as right. good as anybody. That's right. Um, we're going to be joined in just a second by our friend, uh, whose podcast, he and his brother and brother-in-law, their podcast, Section 336, is available to listen at PressBoxOnline.com. By the way, speaking of podcasts, did you see that uh, the Baltimore Ravens have released uh, news of a new podcast mm -hmm. hosted by Sarah Ellison? You know okay. Sarah, don't yes, you? Yes. Uh, uh, she writes for uh, BaltimoreRavens.com. It's called Man in the Crowd. It's going to be a nine-part podcast series that really digs into uh, how unique the John Harbaugh story is. You know, the family, his dad, his brother, and just what makes him tick. Well, it'll be interesting because, uh, I, you know, a lot of people have a tendency, of, of course, here recently in, in, in recent years to say maybe uh, – John has, you know, not the game has passed him by, but maybe the message to this team yeah, is not being with gotten team. a little stale. But I still think when when you have a track record like he has, and and obviously the pedigree is what it is, uh, it's it's hard not to like John Harbaugh. <laughs> no, Brian Billick, by the way, was announced last week. It's going to do uh, Ravens preseason yeah. games on uh, on WBAL and. Uh, you know, uh, Ravens, uh, and where where you can watch the games, right? Um, the preseason games, the preseason yeah. games only, and and uh, Washburn, Evan Washburn is going to be part of that as well. Big time CBS guy now. Um, Brian Billick, he belongs in the Ravens. Yeah, ring I was of just going to say, I don't know what's taking him so long. Uh, he he won the first Super Bowl. I mean, in terms of being the coach of that team, and really. When you think about that team in general as a whole that year with Trent Dilfer 
as gutty a quarterbacking job in a season with an offense that certainly wasn't all that talented in terms of the players. And remember, that team went five straight weeks without scoring an offensive touchdown. That's how great that defense was. <laughs> but, but I'm saying, but that's yeah. how great that defense was. Yeah. 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 Uh, before we go to Josh, one last question. When you really look back on it now, isn't it kind of surprising that he never got another shot? To it coach? is. It is. And I don't know whether that's because of – Brian's demeanor or or attitude. I mean, yeah. let's face it; you won't find anybody any more confident than Brian Billick. And and, and I remember the, the year th- after yeah. the year after they won the Super Bowl, we had Elvis Gerbeck here. Right. Okay. Now Elvis takes the team in Jacksonville, the length of the field, and a great two minute drill wins the game. And this is about midway through the season. And the first thing that Billick says in his post game press conference is. Anybody want to ask me who my starting quarterback is now? <laughs> right. All right. All right. Joining us right now is uh, one of our starting uh, players, Josh Soroka of Section 336. Podcast can be heard at uh, pressboxonline.com slash radio, and you'll see the page come up, and you can listen to that very fine podcast he does with his brother and his brother-in-law. Josh Soroka joins us. Josh, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Uh, it's a family affair. It's a family affair. Yes, exactly. It is. Tell us real quick before we dig into the Orioles, who's the brother and who's the brother-in-law? I know it's it's Bert and... So, and... Yeah, so Bert is my brother-in-law, but we grew up as like childhood friends. So okay. we've known each other forever, and Matt is my younger brother. All right. So it's the three of you, and that that new podcast is every Monday... Yeah, we every Monday night we record live on and we stream it to Facebook just like you guys. Uh, so it comes out Monday overnight, uh, ready for your Tuesday morning commute. All right, sounds good. Uh, tell us what you think you know about what the Orioles are about to do over the next nine days. Uh, you asked it with you know. I don't think there's anyone that knows what's happening, even Dan Duquette and Buck Showalter. I think. <laughs> Everyone's kind of waiting and seeing. I um, I think the Rangers series was a fun surprise. Right. I was actually impressed yesterday to see the, the bats come alive late in the game. I think uh, it shows something about the team where we've complained a lot about lack of hustle this season. Um, I think we saw something a little bit yesterday, a little excitement on the team. Well, I got I to gotta tell you, you're talking about the bats coming alive in the ninth inning last night. It gets to be an 8-7 game, and I, we didn't talk about this earlier, Stan, yeah. but if you are Chris Davis, right now he said after the game he wasn't seeing the ball very well, and his main objective was to try to get on base. Well, I, I get that, but keeping in mind that you also tried to bunt twice in, in a previous at-bat in the game and failed miserably at it, and and I love Chris Davis, but you gotta you gotta be swinging to try to get a base hit. If you hit a home run, great, you tie the game. I understand what he was trying to do, but you know you gotta lay down a better bunt than that if you're trying to do it. Yeah, I've been asking for Chris Davis to bunt all season because I am so tired of him hitting into the shift. Yeah, but you know what? I wanted a little bit of honesty, but not last night. And I, I heard the excuse of he wasn't seeing the ball right. 
if he's going up to that plate and not going to be swinging for the fence, he needs to go to Buck and say, put someone into bunt. Because in, in a one-run game, we don't need a guy who hasn't really bunted to try to get on base. We need him to either hit the home run or let someone else take that role. Well, the other part of that, though, is trying to get players to do something that they're not accustomed to. Now, you say, okay, they're major league players. They should be able to do that. And, and there are several times where I would like to see Chris go the opposite way, but with a swing, not a bunt. And, and for me, you know, this is why I get so aggravated a lot of times with fans as they say, well, you know, that whole, side of the, that whole left side of the infield is wide open for him. It's, it's, it's a hitter that's not accustomed to doing that, you know. And, and I, I'm, I'm against trying to get a guy to do something he's against, you know, that he's not accustomed to doing. But that's what makes last night even more baffling that he tried the bunt. Right, exactly. Yeah. It, it, was, it was actually quite bizarre to see it. Um, we're talking with Josh Soroka of Section 336. So, Josh, so let's, say, let's all agree that we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but in your estimation, what should happen? Uh, should, should, again, is a funny question. Um, well, here's what I, I would like to see the Orioles. Trade Zach Britton and Brad and Brad Brock. I think there's about maybe four guys in the pen, including those two guys that I would trust at the end of ball games. I think this team is not built for the close one-run game that we need a that we need a dominant closer. And I think we've definitely seen Ubaldo should never pitch again for the Orioles. And you won't get any real argument from me there, <laughs> right? Right, and, and clearly this team needs to do something, and they need to get sell Britain while they're hot, but not rebuild. If Dan Duquette and Buck Showalter are staying on this team, they're building for next year and since both their contracts end next year, which means we retool, which means we trade to our, from our strength, the bullpen, to try to strengthen our starting pitching, get some prospects that maybe can come up and help next season, but not really look past next season. It's also why you got to keep Manny Machado. Well, my, my way of looking at that is, you know, you, you want to trade Britain or Brock, or well, as you said, you want to trade both. I can't see them trading both because you're essentially saying at that point to me, you're throwing in the towel on everything. And that includes the rest of this season, plus more than likely next year as well. Well, I, I think you trade. I think you can trade two arms out of that pen, whether it's, whether it's Britain and Brock or Britain and O'Day, because we've seen good things from Gibbons. Gibbons could be a closer in this league, no question. Um, Castro is exciting to see where he's going to move, whether it's uh, deeper into the bullpen or into the starting rotation. I was going to say, Josh, how do you feel about him being a starter from what we've seen of him this year? I mean, we all just watched Dubato pitch yesterday. I think we'll say yes to anyone. <laughs> I'd rather see Bonza pitch than than Ubaldo at this point in time. I'm I'm a well, sort of I'm well. Sort of, he he throws 99, but that's well. He's at 99, but I that's not tap, his fastball. <laughs> I saw him tap the table though. You know, yeah, I did see him hey. tap the table. We're talking Josh Soroka, section 336. Josh. Uh, I'm in agreement that I think they're going to end up trading two of these arms, but I think the arms are going to be Britain and O'Day. Um, I, I think that they feel – I think you need 
the idea that you're going to get an inexpensive closer, I think, is kind of foolhardy. You may luck into one now and again, like the Angels this year with Bud mm-hmm. Norris, who's closing games at $2 million. But I think if you get a closer and you can sign them for four years at nine a year, you know, something like that. And I think Brock is possibly at that price point. I think I'd like to lock him in. Uh, O'Day, I'd like to be free of that money for the next couple of years because I think it can be better invested in starting arms. I agree. I think long-term, if you can trade O'Day, that's better for the ball club. Um, clears another that contract, and I think that's better in the long run. But any of those guys, we got to give up a little in our strength to try to do something in our starting rotation for next season. It's clear that we're all playing for next season. And right now, I've got Dylan Bundy penciled in, and that's it in my starting rotation for next year. <laughs> Galsman needs to show me something that he's not just a glorified uh, pen arm. I, he needs to be able to go at least three innings and not struggle. Well, you know, the, the, the funny part about all of this, the struggle since the 22-10 and 10 start you had three quality starts in the past week in that Rangers series from Britain. Tillman. Oh, I'm sorry, from, from Bundy. Tillman, Bundy, and Gosman. Right. And that's the first time that has happened for this team All since year. mid-May. Right. So basically two months of not being able to string three, three starts together, starts together. Yep. that are, you know, six innings, three runs or less. And that just – and then we find out, obviously, and the bats came to life, as Josh said. But then it's amazing how well the back end of that bullpen falls into place once you get that from a starter. Josh, uh, help me understand one thing. You know, Let's just say that Chris Tillman, the Chris Tillman we saw the other day, is, is pretty much what we're going to see the rest of the way here. And he pitches – another 11 starts, something like that, and it's a 3.5 ERA and he's 5-4 and four or something like that. Is there a scenario where, where both he and the club would want to continue this relationship, one that he enters into free agency? In other words, I guess, would he sign a one-year contract with, an ins- with some incentives that bring him up to a fairly big number or do you think he's just out the door? I think it's, I mean, that's, I think let's see how the next month goes. Yeah. I think if, if Tillman does pitch like he pitched on Monday night and he does that tonight against a good ball club like Houston, then we keep watching and say, yeah. I know the Orioles. I know, I've watched the Orioles long enough. I know that they like to keep their guys. It's easier. It's generally but they cheaper. Like to, but they like to keep their guys, but you don't see them giving him a like a three-year, $45 million or $50 million contract based on what this year's going to end up like. Is there a way, and I'll ask you this, Craig and Josh, do, do you think, think there's a way that that nut could be cracked where they stay together? Well, I don't know whether they stay together, but I can't imagine them giving any pitcher – Right. A long-term deal like that because that's just not their M.O. Josh? Yeah, no, I agree. This team is, this, like I keep saying, this team is playing for next year. So they would love to do a one-year deal for Tillman and, and put that back in there. But I could also see them making it a two- to three-year deal because of the fact that this is such a down year that they think they'll get a deal for Tillman. Right, right. Uh, you know, the, the question is, what is the number 
that Chris Tillman would be comfortable with. I think he's still at the age. Now, it's almost like a running back, though, in football. You get to a certain age, and do you think you can bounce back enough to show another team in 2018 that for 19, 20, 21, and 22, I deserve four years and $65 million again? Has that has that gone out the window for Chris and maybe a three-year $27 million deal gets it done or well, something like that? It's gone out the window for him because they're guaranteed contracts yeah. as opposed to the NFL. Yeah, that's not. a good point. It's a good point. Josh, right, uh, and of course, we all know that Tillman came into this season planning to build on this team for a long term. So I guess we'll see how good his agent is. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating because I don't think you just turn your back on him when you need three, you know, three to potentially four starters next year. And if he shows a glimmer of hope, I think you got to try and work out a one-year deal and convince him where maybe it's a one-year with a big option and a buyout for the second year or something like that. So sure, that, sure. that certainly is going to be an interesting uh, topic. Now, the Zach Britton uh, idea, it, you know, I know you read quite a bit, you study quite a bit, and you have your own opinions. Of the teams that are out there, three teams to me legitimately have really good chances to, to win a World Series. Houston, the Dodgers, and still the Cubs. Do you see any other teams that are a good fit for Zach? Uh, did you say the Nationals? No. I mean, I because, know they no, because no. I'm not going to include them in the discussion of, of acquiring a big-time Oriole. All right. Well, that's because right, the, two te- the two teams aren't going to be talking. Right. And, 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 that's right. Base, and that's based basically on up here as opposed to down there. Right, well, right. well hold be, on one well, second. That, that would be the Masson lawsuit, right? Yeah. No, hold on one second. You can say it's about the Masson thing, but that, that whole tit-to-tat with Buck Showalter and Mike Rizzo, uh-huh. where, where Mike threw the general manager of the Orioles under the bus saying, we tried to contact him, he couldn't be found for four hours. That didn't go over too well with Dan Duquette. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We've heard other people say that about Dan Duquette, though, as well. In, <laughs> That's uh, true. Years, that well, he doesn't, and, he doesn't and, return phone calls. And Rizzo's comment after that, too, was certainly right. – the Orioles really need to stop whining. <laughs> well, that's right. I agreed yeah. with him on that, but I thought, professionally speaking, yeah, to, not throw the right your, yeah. to throw your counterpart under the bus by saying we tried to reach and didn't even name him. Just we tried to reach their general manager for four hours. He was unavailable. I thought it was right. in very poor taste. Sure, that's sure. like but a doctor. That's like a doctor saying, "Well, I wouldn't have done it that way." <laughs> You know, I wouldn't have given you your brain surgery. How's that recovery going? <laughs> uh, uh, but, but, yeah, those teams you mentioned, I think last night the Orioles uh, increased Britain's value by showing how vulnerable the Astros' bullpen is. Yeah, I so agree. So I think Houston is now in town probably having some conversations with Duquette while they're in town. Um, and I think that's, that's whether the Orioles – win anything this series, at least by coming back and beating up that bullpen, they've at least increased Britain's value. Uh, that's, a, that's a good point, Josh. It really is. We're talking with Josh Soroka of Section 336. Uh, Josh, um, you, you keep a pretty close eye on the minor league system. It seems to me while the, the organization certainly doesn't have a great farm system, 
it seems with the, the where they stand now with control with Mancini and Scope and Davis and the feeling that Jones will be here a while, position players, I think they've got sort of enough in the hopper. But are, do you see anybody that that uh, sparks your interest as a guy who could be a starter on this team next year as a starting pitcher I'm talking about? One, uh, one guy. One guy, which is Jason Aquino. I, I, I like what I'm seeing from him in the minors. He hasn't shown much when he's been up uh, and gotten his call up. I'd like to see him. I'm sure he will in September. I'd like to see him get the call maybe for Roboto's next start. Um, that's the one guy I see as a starter. I think there's some exciting prospects in the pen, like a guy like Chris Lee. But Aquino's the guy I look forward to that he might break rotation next year. Aquino's interesting to me because what made me want to, and you and I have talked about this, Stan, what I would like to get another look at him, and we're talking about, you know, with the fifth starting spot, you know, he, we all agree Ubaldo shouldn't be there. Uh, but whether it's Asher, as it was earlier this year, right. Aquino, Aquino piques my interest from the start in Milwaukee, where, yes, he got beat, yes, he gave up some runs, not all of his doing, uh, but I thought he threw the ball pretty pretty darn well in that game. And that led me to right there say, you know, they really need to give this guy another look or two. Well, I'm sure they'll have the opportunity in September to take a look at Aquino and you mentioned Asher. But I'm talking down at the next levels, it just – it. I did not see much. I did a little homework on my vacation, and I didn't see a lot of names that surfaced to me at A or double A that, that look, not only do, can they help the team next year, I'm talking about like three, projecting them three years down the road, I don't see much in the starting rotation, Josh. No, and you're, you're, you're correct. One, the, the young guys, we had, do have a problem with, uh, Tommy John surgery at like the single A level, yep. so it's slowing down pitcher development. But it also speaks to why we need to trade two of these bullpen arms to try to get some type of pitching because the rest of the positions we've got decent guys in the lower levels. It was certainly an interesting trade made yesterday by the St. Louis Cardinals and the Seattle Mariners. Uh, they, they the Cardinals traded a guy who has had Tommy John surgery but has come back from it this year in the minor leagues, uh, Martinez. I forget his first name. Is it Jason Martinez or Carlos Martinez? Went from the Cardinals to the Mariners for a uh, power-hitting outfielder named O'Neal. Uh, and it looked like the Mariners, who are in the midst of their own bid to, to get a wild-card spot, they still realized it was Smiley and Isakawa and uh, Gallardo not likely to give them anything next year. It, it looks like this deal was made for, with next year in mind, Craig. Could be. Uh, it's – I really want to say yeah. that it's a situation where you really want to find out what these guys are all about. And, uh, you know – I'm I'm of the belief that this farm system is not necessarily as bad as all these national publications say it is, but by the same token, uh, you would like to see them, like Josh says, you want to see maybe a trade or two to kind of restock it and get some 
other prospects in here and, and see what's happened. Because you look at some of the guys who are on Major League level now, Stan, and it's uh, they have developed guys, but you, you need you need to do more from a pitching standpoint and a starting pitching standpoint. You done? Yeah. <laughs> you, you almost can't go to a website now. Without a pop-up coming without up. Without a pop-up coming on about the thing. Well, you know what you have to do. read the article, not hear yeah, video you, on the article. Yeah, but you have to kill your sound okay. system. It That's, was Tyler O'Neill. Tyler O'Neill. Went to the Cardinals, the outfielder for Marco Gonzalez. Okay. And they're referring to it as a rare Prospect for prospect trade made in the middle of the season. But, but, I'm but sorry, go ahead. No, no, but that's my point is that you know, no matter how it happens, try to restock this farm system. And if you can get pitching, starting pitching to try to stock it, that behooves you later on down the road. And there's just not enough of that in the system right now. We're talking with Josh Soroka, Section 336. Josh, what's this week? What are you guys working on for this week? Uh, this week is up in the air whether it's going to be a, uh, exciting about looking forward to this season or let's just throw in the tail and uh, get ready for next season. This past week we looked a lot at, well, it's time to get ready for next season. Um, one thing we are going to, we're going to have, um, uh, I'm blanking on the guy's name, Justin McGuire on, on Monday night. And he has a podcast called Baseball by the Book. Okay. Where he talks to authors of baseball books. Um, so he's, uh, it's an interesting podcast he does because you get to learn a lot about baseball history, um, without necessarily having to read the whole stack of books. And, so we're going to talk to him. Do, do the books have, Oriole fan. just so Craig Heist knows, do the books have pictures? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's not <laughs> worth my while unless, <laughs> unless there's a ton of pictures, you know? Well, that's, that's the best part about this podcast is is they just talk about the book and tell the best stories out of the oh, book. Oh, okay. You don't have to actually um, read okay, the book. Okay. You don't have that's to, great. That's, right. It's that's, good. That's right up <laughs> Craig's alley. That's right. All right. Right. So uh, he's going to be on this week, and he's also an Orioles fan, so I'm sure we'll get into uh, some of his thoughts on this current season. And he was talking this week on his podcast about Mike Messina and his chances for the Hall of Fame, so I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit as well. Well, now let me ask you about that real quick. Before we take a break, and that's the, you know, last year Moose had 43% of the vote. What do you think is realistic uh, for this year? Can he crack 60% of the vote? Yeah, I, I think he gets in within three years. I think he's going in. I think the next question is whether he goes in as an Oriole or a Yankee. And that's going to be tough for Oriole fans either way. Yeah, it will be. I forget the pr procedure with that. Do they ask the player which he prefers? I, I think it's up to the Hall of Fame. Okay. And and uh, our, really, I, I our good our good buddy our good buddy Jimmy Henneman would be uh, right. the right person to ask for that. But I think it's up to the Hall of Fame. All right. I think if it's up to the Hall of Fame, his longer portion of his career was with the Orioles. Was with Slightly. the Orioles, but he won he won a hundred and uh, he won two hundred and seventy games, one hundred and forty three. Right. With the Orioles right. and, uh, and 123 right. with the Yankees. Right. So that's right. His 20. better numbers were always in Baltimore. Yeah. And that makes it tricky for Baltimore fans who haven't known how to kind of welcome him back yep. after being a Yankee, which gets weird then if we're putting up his number and his statue. And I guess we're just going to have to forget about those Yankee years. 
<laughs> All right, there you have it. Josh Soroka, Section 336. Many thanks for coming in uh, and uh, being on the show today. Appreciate it. All right, thank you. All right, there you have it. There Josh Soroka, Section 336. Always they, an interesting an, listen. Yeah, They have an interesting promotion tonight for the Frederick Keys. Game starts at 6 o'clock. It is home improvement night with Richard Karn being out at the game. Okay. He, he was Al Borland, Tim's assistant on right. home improvement. Uh, got a fireworks show, uh, a jersey auction tonight out there. And I'll tell you what, I can be honest with you, as opposed to going to the Oriole game. <laughs> <laughs> You're all about that, the home improvement I am, night. Oh, I love home improvement. The other night I'm listening to, I forget where it is, but they were promoting a baseball game, that one of these Seinfeld nights. Uh-huh. And then it said, and with such and such who played such and such, and I never heard the actor's name or the character's name. It was, you know, it clearly wasn't one of the top four. Right. And then it wasn't uh, Newman. Uh, but it, it made it sound like, I mean, this guy sounded like he was like the 12th ranked uh, character on that show. Well, this this looks like a pretty fun promotion tonight. So why don't you go out there I, tonight? I think I might. You want to okay. just handle my network of bill, yeah. uh, responsibilities? We'll get Kyle Ottenheimer. Right, Bonzo's yeah. available. Bonzo will jump in and do it in a heartbeat. You know, Bonzo's got to race up 270. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to take a time out, and I'm going to start out. Go ahead. Let me read that one this time. All right. Let's, let's share let's the switch wealth. Switch it up. Switch go. it up. You can let the Aberdeen Ironbirds take all the stress out of planning your family's next night out. Introducing the Green Turtle. Friends and family package. Get a load of this, Craig. You get four Ironbirds tickets, mm-hmm. four Green Turtle dinners, yeah. and four Ironbirds caps. What for- can that possibly cost? Uh, well... It's a $208 value, but that's not what it's going to cost you, Craig, no, well, how much? or anybody else. Yeah. It's going to cost them $49.96. That's a $208 value for $49.96. Purchase your Green Turtle Friends and Family Package online today by visiting ironbirdsbaseball.com. Your summer starts now. All right, and if you like great food and baseball, you'll have to visit Big Bats Cafe located just over the Bay Bridge in Kent Island. Take the first exit to 216 St. Clair Place. Big Bats, the winner of the Golden Anchor Award and voted the best burgers and wings. It's like visiting Cooperstown, but with food. Check them out. BigBats.com. I was there over the All-Star break thinking about making another return visit on Monday. So we'll see how that goes. Really? Yes. Okay. All right, we'll be back. Bill Latson of MLB.com joins us after these words. Charm City's newest football team, the Baltimore Brigade, are taking arena football to the next level at Royal Farms Arena. This is the first ever season, and you're going to want to be there for it all. Catch a great game with your family sitting close to the field, or get your night started with friends in the bunker party zone. Baltimore Brigade football is high-speed, action-packed, non-stop excitement everyone can enjoy. Get your tickets now at BaltimoreBrigade.com or by calling 667-930-0200. Baltimore Brigade football presented by MedStar Health, brick by brick. 
It's summer, which means you're driving somewhere. It might be Ocean City, maybe Wildwood or the Outer Banks, wherever it is. You're driving there, and you haven't driven that far in a while. So you need to go to Full Circle Tire and Auto first, 1304 Governor's Court, Unit 110 in Abingdon, because they're going to give you a free road trip check and a free battery check, plus the best prices on tires in town and $79.95 AC services all summer long. Don't wait until you're on the road to find out there was something wrong with your vehicle. Go to Full Circle Tire and Auto first. You can call 410-676-2277. That's 410-676-CARS or visit FullCircleTireAndAuto.com to find out more. KZ here, Pressbox Fantasy and Reality Football Show with Sarita, the NFL chick. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I- I'm great. Every Sunday, 10 to noon, we talk about mostly football. Yes. We-, we talk about the college game. We talk about the NFL game. We will throw in sports, local sports, some Orioles, some Terps. If there's an important story around the country, we'll throw that in. But our heart, our soul, of course, is football. Baltimore sports. Baltimore sports. In general. Do a little bit DC. We got to give them some love sometimes. Uh, I guess. Sundays, <laughs> Sundays, 10 to noon, Pressbox Fantasy Reality Football Show. A new summer menu with two great new items at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. First up, the Smokehouse Barbecue Bacon Sandwich. It's Chick-fil-A's signature grilled chicken and new bacon glazed in a brown sugar pepper blend. Served on a Hawaiian-style bun with Colby Jack cheese, green leaf lettuce, and a zesty Smokehouse Barbecue sauce that's crafted specifically for the sandwich. They also have the Watermelon Mint Lemonade. You can get it as a regular or a diet lemonade. It's got all-natural watermelon and mint flavors, and it's complimentary to the Smokehouse Barbecue Sandwich. Get the Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. Tell Steve Pavlovsky we said hello and get there before August 19th because these items are available for a limited time only. Hey, it's Nick Ashu. It's Tim Murray. And we're back now with Pressbox Online every Tuesday. Game time with Tim and Nick. So, similar name. Very similar name. A lot of the same content. Well, we'll change that content up, you know. We'll stay with the times, obviously. But we're still going to yell at each other. Oh, I'll push your buttons whenever we want. You always do. We're yeah. like an old married couple. Every Tuesday, subscribe to us on iTunes. We're on SoundCloud, Pressbox Online, Game Time with Tim and Nick. Find Game Time under the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com or on iTunes and SoundCloud. All right, we are back, and uh, we apologize if uh, suddenly, suddenly Craig Ice got. It's sort of like you 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 were suddenly on we're Star back Trek. We're, we're back you were in up. Star Trek, and then all of a sudden, yeah, you were I, was, I was like beamed up beamed somewhere. Up yeah. Somewhere. <laughs> Turns out I had hit a cord, and this was something that you couldn't tap the table to fix, or else it would have been fixed yeah, much sooner. Gosh. Anyway, we're back up. We've had an entertaining show today with Mike Devereaux, Mel Antonin, Josh Soroka, and our friend Bill Latson of MLB.com and his podcast, Newsmakers, is going to join us in just a minute, as long as he answers his phone. Um, Maybe he's... Maybe Maybe, maybe somebody kicked his line out, too. (laughs) Maybe you can tap. That's possible. Is there any possibility you could tap on Latson's table? (laughs) Uh. Anyway... Uh, the Orioles will face the um, Houston Astros tonight, and tonight is that bottle stopper set night. Um, got one of those the other night. Yeah, I got one I gave the it other away, night. but I got, got one of them. Would you so, sell it on eBay again? No, I, I don't do Everybody that. Everybody knows that you can buy stuff from Craig Heist on eBay. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, tonight it'll be Colin McHugh versus Chris Tillman. I'm very anxious to see Chris Tillman tonight. 
Uh, and tomorrow afternoon will be Lance McCullers Jr. against Dylan Bundy. And I'm also very interested in seeing Dylan Bundy. One quick note before we have, we, we've still not made our connection. Last night, uh, the fireworks were sponsored by Mid-State Community Bank. Right. Uh, we lost a great woman about five months ago, and that was Miss Kitty Gerling, who was the president of Mid-State Federal Savings and Loan. They now are Mid-State Community Bank. Um, and those fireworks, 60, Kitty— Sixty-two years yeah, she, was, she ran that. She was unbelievable. She was a friend, a sponsor. And, and a huge baseball and fan. A, and just an incredible baseball fan. Un- unbelievable. Um, she suffered toward the end with macular degeneration. I remember going over last summer and watching a game with her up in her in her bedroom. I got into Kitty's bedroom there you go. at one time, but she couldn't even really see. But she she would say, "Now what's going on?" And she she just loved, you know, baseball is a game that sticks with you in the mind. And you that's know? you know, and and when you say that and how she suffered. Uh, with the eyes, yeah, you know, and, and but that's just another example of just why baseball is so great on the radio as well, you know. Well, if you know think, the game, think, you if you can know the game, it. but you think about the people who have called the game, the Hall of Fame broadcasters like Ernie Harwell, Chuck Thompson, guys yep. like that who have painted that picture. John Miller was one of the best at painting, painting the picture for the listener to be able to understand or get that visual yep. of what was going on on the field. All right. Well, anyway, last night was a special fitting sort of closure sayonara to Miss Kitty Girling. The fireworks were sponsored by her, and it was a great, great batch of fireworks. And you did, not do, you did not do your show online last night because you were at the no, ballpark I, to watch. I stayed to watch the yeah. fireworks, and I spent the fireworks thinking about Kitty. Absolutely. And the 30, near 30 years I knew her. Joining me right now, or joining us right now, is somebody. It's all about, well, so you've proven it's all about you yeah. so far well, today. Well, I tried to get you off of your yeah, back, we, though. Yeah, you kick a cord to the camera, and now Bonds has got to use another camera, which is why I'm up now on the screen. Right. So he's used another camera. So wait a minute, I broke a camera? You broke the camera by kicking it. Well, why were the cords under my feet? Anyway, joining us right now is our good friend of the program. He's MLB.com's podcaster extraordinaire, and that is Bill Latson. Bill, how are you? Doing great. How about you guys? Oh, great. Glad you could answer your phone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you guys were late. So. No. No, we oh. weren't. Tit- anyway, a little tit for tat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, let me talk to you about this podcast and the one you worked on recently involved about uh, the Hall of Fame. About the Hall of Fame and it involved Tim Raines. And, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier about this, and that's that, you know, there was Ricky Henderson. And a lot of people talk about him being the greatest leadoff hitter of all time, but really Tim Raines was Ricky before Ricky, I think, is safe to say. Yes, I mean, uh, Tim Raines was a hell of a player. I mean, what impressed me more than anything was on-base percentage. He was a true leadoff hitter, stole a lot of bases at the right time. Uh, You know, Tim Raines, to me, didn't get the recognition, really, believe it or not, until he became – uh, until he became a member of the uh, Yankees. And he was a bench player by that time. So, uh, and, you know, I, I, it's, it's about time he's in the Hall of Fame. He deserves it. Hey, hey, Bill, let me follow that up. Why do you think it took him to his last shot 
to, to get into the Hall of Fame. Here's three pretty bright baseball people. I think we all agree he should have been in there in his first five years. Uh, yeah, uh, the reason I, I think that is just is where he played. He played in Montreal. You know, uh, you know they didn't win there. He didn't win uh, until he became a bench player. And I, I think where he played made a huge difference. Uh, why he's not? Why he took so long for him to get into the Hall of Fame? Now, so, a, pl- uh, a, a player that won't take as long to get into the Hall of Fame, but one I think was a first ballot Hall of Famer was Vladimir Guerrero, uh, and he played much of his oh, no career question. in Montreal. You think it's the same thing? Yes, and, and also I don't think not enough people saw him play, Yep. you know, what he could really do. I mean, like, when he went to the American League, as you know, um, he was a, a DH mostly. But, uh, I mean, that guy can do everything in, in his prime. So well, I know, I know you've often, I've, I know you've often said he's the best player you've ever seen play the game. Yes, he's the best player I've covered. No, no question about it. And uh, and that not only because of the home runs and RBIs, the guy could run, the guy uh, could uh, play defense too. I love the way he played. Yeah, he had I, an amazing arm. Too. The year, the year that he was here in Baltimore, I loved it that he was. I here. loved it that he was here, and I saw him one night get a base hit on a ball that, oh, that bounced, bounced in front point. of the plate, yeah. and he hit it in the center field. Yeah, that's fa- that's okay. really quite a statement, though, that he's the best player you ever saw. That really is. I'm not going to disagree with it. I just never saw him during those eight or nine years that he played in Montreal. But I loved him as an angel, and I was excited, even though that was when the Orioles were always trying to acquire a former big name. Yeah. But it was fun to have him here in Baltimore for a year. But what happens yeah, with what, what happens with Bill? in this is that he covered the Expos during the strike year. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you think about that, and that's probably probably Montreal's best shot. I mean, they could have won a World Series that year. Oh, there's no question about it. That was – I mean, they had Pedro Martinez. They had some great pitching. Oh, my God. Where are you – Bill, where are you at the bus bus station? Where am I what? Where are you, at the bus station? Oh, no, no. Um, I'm at uh, a clinic right now. Okay. So, uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, clinic right now. What type of clinic? Nah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. All right. So, so what, what, was, uh, what was the conversation like, and what did he tell you about the excitement of being getting ready to be inducted into the Hall of Fame? The guy's on cloud nine. And uh, he learned that uh, four buses of uh, four buses of uh, Montreal fans are going to be there, and he can't wait. And if you remember, Gary Carter and uh, and Andre Dawson went in and into the Hall of Fame as members of the Expos, and they didn't want to do this. You know, Carter wanted to go in as a Met, and uh, Dawson wanted to go in as a member of the Cubs. But Tim Ray's is the total opposite. He he credits Montreal for being who he is, basically. And, uh, you know, he loves uh, going in as a member of the Expos. You won't hear him complain about it. Bill, uh, you know, we got the Hall of Fame coming up, but one other thing we've got coming up this week is, uh, or in the next nine days, is the trade deadline, uh, July 31st. Uh, Are you going to do a special podcast 
uh, about that in the next week or so? I probably will. Um, you know, I'll probably try to, you know, get some players, some GMs, and we'll see what happens from there. Uh, but right now, I'm kind of focused on the Hall of Fame right now, so that's about it, which is next week. Yeah, you're going up for the Hall of Fame, right? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. And I can't wait. That's a pretty pretty neat event. Yeah, well, I've been I've been to a couple of them. Yeah. It really is a great event. Bill, uh, we were talking a little bit before about Mike Musina uh, and his his Hall of Fame credentials. And at the end of the day, when he eventually does go in, is it the is it the Hall's decision which uniform he goes in under? Is it the player's decision? Who makes no, that the, call? It's the Hall's decision. They'll make that decision. I mean, in the past, uh, it used to be the players, but the players, you know, did it for financial reasons, and uh, it was unreal. It was unreal. I mean, the last person to uh, go in the Hall of Fame um, by, by his decision was Dave Winfield. And when Winfield did that, he decided uh, that, you know, the Hall would make the decision because he could have went in and he made that make Ah, your phone is breaking up there, Bill. Yeah, are you there? I'm here. Bill, we're going to try and we're going to try and reconnect with you in just a minute, okay? Bear with okay. us. We'll we'll call you back. All right. All right. It's Bill Latson of MLB.com. Was he? What type of? What type well, no, of, he 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 could be getting dialysis. Oh, okay. I did yes. not know. Yes, that. yes. Okay. I did not know that. Yeah. Bill is one of the really good guys in this game of baseball. Yeah, he is. He's covered covered the Expos uh, before he came to Washington, and I got to know him first year of covering the Nationals, and uh, you know we became very fast friends. And I remember one of the one of the biggest things that I remember with Bill early on was when Frank Robinson was managing that team, and then it became evident that Frank was going to get you know, fired at the end of the second year. Right. Uh, you know, I told, you know, I told Bill then, I said, you know, and, and, and we deal with the race issue so much in, in a lot of different aspects of mm -hmm. our lives. And I told him, I said, Nationals got to be very, very careful of, of how they go about this because right. of not just Frank being in Washington, right. but what he means to baseball fans in this area between Baltimore and Washington. No question about it. That was not an easy call. No. Was, was that not. Jim Bowden that made that call, Yes, though? it was. Yes, yeah. it was. Yeah. Are yeah. he and Frank still, are they friendly at all? Uh, are, are Jim and Frank, were they friendly? Or are they? Well, at first, yeah. yeah. I mean, because Bowden, you know, there's, a, there's obviously a Cincinnati connection there as well. Right, but, right. Uh, well, we got to try to reconnect with Bill, right. and uh, while we do that, uh, the I'm Orioles, by the way, um, play tonight, and uh, that is Camden Yards at seven oh eight, roughly is start time, and the pitching matchup tonight is Colin McHugh making his first start for the uh, Astros this season, and he will go up against Chris Tillman, uh, and Tillman coming off of I think by far his best performance of the year. Craig. No, no question, and like we said earlier, we want to see whether or not they can, or he can, string two of these in a row together. You know, kind of quality starts, get the team into the sixth inning, turn it over to the bullpen. Hopefully, you have a lead, and if that happens, then 
you know, that sets up pretty good for, for Givens and, and Brock and, and Britton down the stretch in the game that you can probably, you know, eke out a win. But it's, it's all got to start with the starting pitching tonight against a team that's a really good hitting team. All right, we're welcoming back our friend Bill Latson. And, Bill, we appreciate you doing this uh, under these circumstances and everything. Um, we, we were we're talking to Hall of Fame, but we're also talking about how close we are to the trade deadline. Do you expect to see a lot of maneuvers, a lot of deals in the next week? Well, I do because, you know, they, they need a lot of improvement. Uh, yes, I do, without a doubt. Uh, like the Nationals, the Orioles, uh, there are a lot of teams out there that need to improve. I mean, even the Milwaukee Brewers are in first place. I mean, they're barely first place. They yeah. need to make some moves now. So, yes, I do expect to see a lot of moves. Hey, hey, Bill, I was alluding to a trade in the last segment. That that trade yesterday between the Mariners and the Cardinals, very different type of trade than what you're used to seeing right around the trade deadline where both teams – who are both in the hunt for a wild card spot, the Cardinals and the Mariners, but it seems like they made this trade more with an eye to almost 18 and beyond, don't you think? Yes, I mean, they look into the future. I mean, that's what that trade was about. Yeah. They were looking into the future, and uh, yes, without a doubt. So uh, so that's about it. I mean, I, you know, I don't know who got the best of the deal, but I just know they just look into the future. Bill, when you look at uh, what the Nationals did over the past week with acquiring Matson and Doolittle, Doolittle obviously has dealt with some shoulder issues, been on the DL uh, at times, but uh, Matson's looked very good uh, in his two outings so far for the Nationals. Doolittle ran into a little bit of problems saving that game, uh, the first game of the Anaheim series. Uh, but he got it done. But he got it. But but you're right, he got it done. But have they solved everything, or are they still out there going to look for another uh, another arm, preferably, obviously, a, a big-time closer? I think they're going to look for another arm, without a doubt. And uh, they, I think they need one. I, I think they need to get maybe a long man or even another, like, uh, you know, set-up guy. So I think they still need to do some work. And, and they're still looking for a relief pitchers. And... They might need another starter, too. So um, I think the Nationals still need to get things done before the trade deadline. Talking to MLB.com's Bill Latson. And, uh, Bill, um, th the teams that really have a shot at this thing to win the World Series, I think we'd agree that the top three teams are the Astros, the Dodgers, and the Cubs still at this point in time. Oh, um, no way. What's that? No way. I mean, the Cubs? No way. I, mean, I, can't, I don't think you can look at them as a favor to, to get to the postseason. No they're five and a half games out in the Central, and they still really – No, they're not. They're a game out in the Central, the Cubs. They've moved yeah, – they, they, uh, they, Yeah, I, I don't think they're going to – But from a pitching standpoint, no, I'm no, sorry. No, I, don't, right. I don't necessarily see it. Well, they just picked up no. Quintana, and I think they're – they're in the hunt to pick somebody else up. I see. Well, them. I, I certainly look at the Nationals as a much better option than the Cubs at this point, as oh, far yeah, as I totally agree three teams I to make the or have a shot at the World Series. Okay, I don't see it that way. But yeah, we'll, we'll, well, so let's th let's throw the Nationals in into the four teams now instead of three. Uh, of those three, of those four teams, 
Well, I'm also excluding the Nationals again because it's a Zach Britton question. <laughs> Which of the teams needs Zach Britton uh, most of all? You know, I, I think uh, that's a great question. I, I, I think it's the Nationals. I think the Nationals need uh, Zach Britton because they, they don't have what I call a true closer. And he provide that he's healthy, I think uh, – he could really help the Nationals big time. Uh, but, but yeah, Bill, the well, reason I – and I won't say it's the reason I didn't include the Nationals as one of the top three teams, but I don't include them as a team that the Orioles will trade with. I don't think the Orioles will trade with them. No, I don't either. Well, yeah, well, we'll see. So of the, other three, of the other three teams, do you have a sense of who you think might make the strongest bid to acquire Zach Britton? Well, I think uh, I have to say maybe Houston. Houston uh, could be that team, and uh, because you know, I mean, the, the more pitching they get, will be better. So uh, that's the whole deal. The other part about the other part about that with Houston, that's a good, very good point, and obviously we see one of their scouts quite a bit out at the ballpark. Yep. And uh, he was talking about Sonny Gray. Uh, but he also talked about, you know, you know, the fact that that could be an avenue. And you brought up the fact that their GM is in town, and Duquette obviously has him on the uh, on the speed dial. On the speed dial. Uh, who knows? Maybe Zach Britton trade could get done with uh, the Houston Astros. And if that happens, you know, their bullpen becomes that much better than it well, is right now. There's a there's a couple different ways you improve your 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 pitching staff, and one of them can be getting a great starter, but if you fail to get a great starter, shortening the games a little bit, it's uh, you know kind of like in basketball, taking the air out of the ball. Uh, if you suddenly become even more dominant out of the bullpen, makes you tougher to beat. Are you hearing much traction on Justin Verlander going anywhere? I don't see I don't see where Justin Verlander goes. Uh, I mean, the guy's off to he's not off, but he's having a bad year. So I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know where he would go. And the money is absolutely huge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't see, you, you know, unless Verlander does, you know, improve or in, in any way, then I'll see him going somewhere. I don't know where he'll go, though. It's interesting, though. A change of scenery sometimes right. uh, can can get a pitcher that's not having a real good Years. And we've seen it all the time. And we see it all the time. A pitcher that's got that track record. Remember Rick Sutcliffe in right. 1984 when he went from the Indians to the Cubs? Yes, indeed. Doyle Alexander. Yep, yep. Doyle Alexander. Great, great one, too. We're talking with Bill Latson. Uh, Bill, it, we're, we're getting to that point of the, of the season, and I don't necessarily expect to see any managers axed during the, reg, the rest of this regular season. But who are who are two or three guys that you think are on the hot seat? Would that have to be Brad Osmus, number one? I, a lot of people are talking about Brad Osmus, I'm sure, because they were expecting to win, and they started trading away some of their players um, before the deadline. I also think uh, Terry Collins of the Mets would yeah. be another one. And, you know, um, don't forget Joe Girardi. Uh, his contract, the last year his contract, and uh, – you just never know. I still think he's a great manager, the way he handled this young team with the Yankees. So, well, you just never know. But those uh, Collins and Austin are the two guys that I that I say could be gone after the season. 
Hey, one more question about the Yankees and and then the White Sox. We know what the Yankees got out of that deal in uh, two bullpen arms, Dave Robert, David Robertson and Tommy Canley, and then the um, uh, Todd Frazier, who's going to play third base for the Yankees. I, I don't know how to judge the package the White Sox got back. Were they more interested in getting out of the salaries that they gave up, uh, or or do you think they got real quality? No, it, it's, it has nothing to do with the salary because you know um, Frazier's going to be a free agent after the season. Robertson is not a free agent until 2018, so that's not about salary. It's about uh, you know improving the farm system, and you know the Yankees. I mean, the White Sox got some good players in return. I, I believe. I mean, to me, I thought uh, getting Clippers. I think they're, going to, they're not going to re-sign Clifford after the season. So I thought they wanted to just improve their farm system, and, and that's about it. And the, pro- the prospects the White Sox got, were they, were they kind of top-notch quality, or were they sort of the middle-of-the-road prospects? I would say middle-of-the-road, but, but see, the thing is, though, about Rick Hahn, the GM, is that if you look at all the trades he's made, I mean, he doesn't let these players go. Until I mean, he gets top of quality. So yeah. I believe he did get some top quality in this trade. So, so we got to wait and see though, because they, they haven't played in the major leagues yet. All right, Bill, we appreciate your being on with us again. Again, MLB.com is the place to listen to Bill's Newsmakers uh, podcast. And this week, a real special look and talk with Tim Raines going into the Hall of Fame this year. Bill, many thanks. Safe travels up to Cooperstown. Thanks a lot. You guys All right. Take care. There you go. Bill Latson. Forgot to ask him about getting me a free shirt. A free shirt? Yeah. He'd pay for it and give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> you can call him back on that. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Don't you think I won't either. <laughs> I'll bet. Uh, do we need a final break? We do. Uh, we're going to take a final break, and this is the best show. Seriously, if you like laughs and you like pratfalls, this is the we, pl- we've this had is them the today, and we're going to tap on the table, and we'll be back in about two minutes. It's summer, which means you're driving somewhere. It might be Ocean City, maybe Wildwood or the Outer Banks, wherever it is. You're driving there, and you haven't driven that far in a while. So you need to go to Full Circle Tire and Auto first, 1304 Governor's Court, Unit 110 in Abingdon, because they're going to give you a free road trip check and a free battery check, plus the best prices on tires in town and $79.95 AC services all summer long. Don't wait until you're on the road to find out there was something wrong with your vehicle. Go to Full Circle Tire. Tyron Auto first. You can call 410-676-2277. That's 410-676-CARS or visit fullcircletyronauto.com to find out more. Guys, can you believe that we've been in Section 336 for 25 years? Well, yeah, 25th anniversary of Canham Yards. Yeah, we've, we've been, been in Section 336. 336. Well, I mean, technically. Are we? Well, technically we're in 334. No, no, no. Section 336. We're in Section 336. Yeah, like our podcast, that's who we are. We're section 336. Every Monday night. It's Every Monday night, yeah. But, you know, when we go to the stadium, we tend to sit in 334. But the ticket's screwed up. We're just, we can touch section 336. I walk past, I say hi to Ryan in section 336. Yeah, and when we say hi to Ryan, we can talk Orioles because we always do here on the show, section 336. Yeah, so section 336. Section 336. That's where we are. Just lie to him. That's Press that. box. 
Find Section 336 at the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com or by going to iTunes or Section336.com. Hey, it's Glenn, and you might not know this, but we actually have a great wrestling podcast. Well, it's an okay wrestling no, podcast. No, 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 don't sell us short, Glenn. This podcast involves the main event, AJ Francis. That means it is the best wrestling yeah, that, podcast. Look, just, just because you're bigger than us does not mean you're better than us. It does not mean you're the main event. The brains are the one that brings people to the table when it comes to podcasts, so it's me who brings people to job and out. Are you kidding me? Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone, you're the worst. Literally the worst. Like, no one has ever tuned in for your opinion. Got real, real, <laughs> real quick. It's jobbing out. Glenn Clark, Aaron and Oster and AJ Francis of the Washington Redskins he Terp. Every week we're talking pro wrestling. You can find it by going to Jobbing Out on iTunes or SoundCloud or by clicking on the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com. Let the Aberdeen Ironbirds take all the stress out of planning your family's next night out. Introducing the Green Turtle Friends and Family Package. Get four Ironbirds tickets, four Green Turtle dinners, and four Ironbirds caps for just $49.96. That's a $208 value for $49.96. Purchase your Green Turtle friends and family package online today by visiting ironbirdsbaseball.com. Your summer starts now. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Steve Ginsburg profiles former Baltimore Sun reporter Ken Rosenthal, now one of baseball's most prominent voices for Fox Sports and MLB Network. Plus, Ravens beat writer Bo Smolka previews training camp, 10 questions with Orioles closer Zach Britton, and more. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Uh, we are back to close things out on the battle round for this Saturday. Craig, uh, the Open in uh, otherwise known as the British Open, uh, where's it stand right well, now? Well, right now Jordan Spieth with a uh, one-stroke lead over Matt Kuchar, and uh, both are uh, Kuchar's through 17. At this point. And, and how far uh, is Spieth? About 12? No, what? actually, uh, let's see. Spieth is, doo, 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 I think, through uh, four holes today. Four so, holes, yeah, okay. So, pretty. Uh, what did Kuchar shoot, or or what's he for the day? Well, it's, uh, right now he's still on the course. Uh, he's minus six for the tournament, minus two for the day. Okay. And uh, Spieth is one under for the uh, day okay. and seven under for the tournament. And then uh, it's a pretty crowded leaderboard, uh, five under, and then two golfers at four under. So interesting. It'll be interesting. And the weather never very good at the British Open, and they're dealing with that as well. Interesting though, if you look at the leaderboard, top fifteen are there eight or nine Americans, seven or eight Americans, three, four, four Americans in the top five, and uh, top fifteen, top fifteen. Eight. Uh, what did I say? Three out of four. So there's five out of uh, 15. Five out of 15. It's just yeah. interesting. In golf, Americans are at or near the top. In yeah. tennis now, the Americans are never, never, never around. Never, yeah, right. never exactly. around. Just interesting. Um, good show today. Mike Devereaux started things off. Mel Antonin came in from Masson, MassonSports.com, then Josh Soroka from Section 336. And Bill Latson. From came. whatever party he was at. Yeah, he was. <laughs> Sounded like a hot tub party. That could, might have been. Who knows? All right. Uh, we appreciate all our guests. <laughs> Which uh, was why he wound up in the clinic. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. That's terrible. We're going to anyway. tap on the table <laughs> and say goodbye. 
A um, couple things to remind you tomorrow. Um, Gary Stein and I with Inside Press Box. Okay. And we had a good show. Bill Ordine was on. And um, I can never remember the next guy. Steve Hamilton was on. And um, we had Darren Ruddam on from the Craig Willinger Fund. Okay. And we're asking you to go to the MLS website. I'm doing a bunch of stuff on social media. The Craig Willinger Fund is really a great charity. Started in honor of Craig Willinger. Uh, he was a significant other, other significant other of Joanna Agata, and Craig was a huge soccer fan and a local player. And uh, he came down with a rare form of cancer, which he succumbed to uh, about eight nine years ago. They started this foundation to honor him. They took him on. His friends donated money and took him on an amazing soccer trip, uh, you know, over to London, and uh, or was it Germany? I forget. But they, since then, once a year, they pick out a candidate, a young adult or a kid with cancer, and take him on the sort of a make-a-wish, yeah. soccer wish come true. She's up, along with 21 others. The MLS has 22 candidates that are their MVPs, and you can vote on them, and we're asking you to vote for Joanna Agata, and the winning organization gets $25,000. Wow. Uh, yeah, and that would be fantastic for a local organization here, so we're asking you to vote. Go to uh, Craig Willinger Fund, CW Fund on Twitter, or go to the MLS website. That does it for today's show. Uh, we'll see you next Saturday. Yes, All indeed. Right. All right. Thank you, Craig. Thank you, Bonza. Have a great Saturday ahead.